Up America, it's Morning Air with John Morales, Si Senor, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverance. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverens and producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Of course, you can always uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. And you can always send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. On Wednesdays, I always take a brief moment to just remind you to pray to St. Joseph. Don't forget St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor. Go to Joseph. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines on this Wednesday morning? Well, a tough weather in Houston overnight. My goodness, uh, yesterday a tornado moved through South Texas, uh, traveling at about 60 miles an hour. Uh, structural damage there, some roads blocked, uh, drivers stranded on roads for a while due to uh, some power lines being down. 80,000 homes and businesses were without power statewide as of uh, last night. Again, uh, Pasadena seems to be uh, the center of the, the touchdown in the Houston area there, John. And uh, I understand that uh, th- there was a earthquake uh, in California. Yeah, my goodness. Uh, said to be uh, no damage reported at this time, though, or you know, injuries, but uh, you know, a decent size 4.2 in Southern California. It happened at about 2 a.m. local time, centered about 10 miles south of Malibu Beach. Uh, another 3.5 tremor half hour later. And so, uh, you know, it's something California folks get used to, but, uh, you know, you never know when one of these gets a little more serious. Well, we count our blessings here uh, in the Chicago area. I woke up to about uh, three, four inches of snow on my car, which is really nothing uh, for us Midwesterners. Yeah, well, uh, drive safely out there, folks, because it just takes an inch or two to really slow things down as well, traffic-wise. Meanwhile, in sports, uh, Scott Rowland is headed to Cooperstown. He was elected yesterday into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame with 76% of the vote. He was a seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glove winner, played for the Phillies, the Cardinals, uh, the Blue Jays, and the Reds during his 17-year career. So uh, congrats uh, to Scott Rowland. Um, I understand that Orioles are Oriole, that would be Oriole cookies, not the Baltimore Orioles, are in the news this morning. That would be kind of fun if the Baltimore team was called the Oreos, though, and they could uh, give those out of the ballpark. But uh, you guys got a particular favorite kind of Oreo cookie? Well, I think you can't go wrong with the original, and then when they doubled that stuff, I wasn't going to say no to that. Sounds pretty good to me. Now there's stuff in the stuff. The most Oreo Oreo coming out on Monday. Uh, it's two cookies with a huge amount of the cream in the middle, unlike a double stuff, it says this cream has bits of Oreo cookie in it. Limited edition going on sale on Monday. And, of course, uh, when you're strolling through the store near holidays, they have all manner of flavors, you know, popping out nowadays. I haven't tried, you know, the pumpkin spice flavor or things like that. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. As, as kids, we thought just how, how we ate them was, uh, was enough. But, but nowadays, all the flavors. 
You got a particular style you like to eat your Oreos, John? Uh, well, I think that the traditional uh, uh, chocolate Oreos are, are great. This one, the Oreo Oreo, uh, sounds uh, uh, tremendous. I'll have to get a bag and uh, and check them out. Uh, I know my son, uh, uh, who's a teenager, goes crazy over Oreos. He loves them, so um, we'll have to uh, do a, a test run. You know, you won't miss these when you see them in the grocery store because they look like a giant Target with uh, the packaging with the Oreo and the cream. They have it swirled into the center with a giant. You're right, Glenn. It's like a mega amount of cream in the middle. I'm wondering, what is the serving size for this? Usually it's two <laughs> cookies, but with that much cream, it might be half of a cookie. These look big, so this is going to be something to check out. You guys are tempting me. Uh, I have been staying away from that kind of stuff uh, since uh, the beginning of the new year, but uh, maybe it'll be worth a little try. That's what they're hoping you'll say. Exactly. <laughs> Pack up a package today. All right, Sarah, Glenn, as always, uh, thanks so much. Uh, first things first, we always uh, start every morning, always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, speaking of prayer, the week of prayer for Christian unity has concluded last night with Pope Francis following tradition and celebrating the ecumenical Vespers at the tomb of St. Paul in the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome. This octave of prayer for Christian unity is celebrated every year from January 18th to the 25th, including with the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, which is the conclusion and which we are celebrating today. Now, how did the grace of God transform uh, the Apostle St. Paul from a persecutor of Christians to a messenger of the gospel? I spoke to our very own Relevant Radio CEO, Father Francis Hoffman. Father Rocky, the host of the Family Rosary Across America, for a much more perspective on the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. It's great to be with you, John. You're right. January 25th is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Because before he converted, he was a very zealous Jew, and he went by the name Saul. But one day, on his way to Damascus, this was not long after Jesus had died and the new church was beginning, he was on his way to Damascus to round up Christians and arrest them and put them in jail. And the Lord stopped him on his journey by overwhelming him with light. Now, often he's depicted as being on a horse, but that's not actually um, mentioned in the uh, biblical text, but it would make sense that he'd be on his horse. Overwhelmed with light, temporarily blinded, he falls to the ground and he hears a voice. And God is calling him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul responds, and I read it just earlier when I celebrated Mass this morning. It was the first scripture reading. Saul responded, who are you? And 
he hears the voice, I am Jesus of Nazareth, and you're persecuting me. And it's hard to kick against the goad. And so this is real revelation to Paul because he thought what he was doing was good. And sometimes people can really think what they're doing is good and right until the Lord actually knocks them off their horse and illuminates their mind and their conscience about what they're doing. And so he's temporarily blinded. And he said, Lord, what do I need to do? He said, go into Damascus to a street named Straight, and Ananias will tell you what to do. And as far as we uh, can see, this is kind of the first recorded three-day silent retreat in the history of Christianity. He went and made a three-day silent retreat. He didn't eat, he didn't drink, and after three days, Ananias told him what he was chosen to do. He was chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? G-E-N-T-I-L-E-S. Those were the non-Jewish people in the ancient world, which is most of the people, right? So the Romans, the Greeks, and the Assyrians, and the Persians, and and all the rest, the Egyptians, right? So he was going to be the witness of Christ to all the people. Now, in St. Peter's Square, John, and I know you've been there before. I think you went there after you and... Many, many times, Father. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So in St. Peter's Square, up in the front, there are two large statues, one on the left and one on the right. One is of St. Peter and the other of St. Paul. Now, how do you know which statue is which saint? Do you you remember? Absolutely. You can never forget that image of St. Peter holding the keys, symbolizing the authority, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and St. Paul with the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Right. These are the two great apostles of the early church, the early Roman church. And what's interesting is Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus. He lived and worked with him for three years, but Paul was not. And yet, I think you can argue that Paul was the greatest of all of the apostles, even though he wasn't one of the 12 original apostles, because of his dynamic energy and apostolic spirit, literally launching the church and founding the church in all sorts of cities and communities throughout the known world at the time, through the Mediterranean. And these have become known to us through his letters, which are collected in the New Testament in the uh, epistles. So, Rome and Corinth, the letter to the Corinthians, Thessalonia, which was in Greece. Thessalonia in the ancient day was sort of the Chicago of Greece, right? Hustling, bustling, hardworking, practical people, big on commerce. So he he started a church there in Thessalonica and in Athens and in Ephesus and in Philippi and and also to the Galatians and all these are recorded. And so um, on this day, we celebrate his conversion, and we also reflect on just what one person can do. Right now, he was courageous. He was a holy person. He had his defects. He had his weaknesses. He had his temptations, and he gives witness to that. But he was literally on fire with love for Christ, and he lived the life of Christ to the extent one day he would write, it's now no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, he had become another Christ. The complete transformation uh, into Christ, which is the goal of every Christian. Because the word Christian, John, it can be used either as a noun or as an adjective. As a noun, it means that you have publicly professed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized by water and the Holy Spirit. That's very important, the noun. What's even more important, though, is the adjective, Christian, when someone describes your behavior as being Christian, like you resemble Christ, you speak with the words of Christ, you 
you example Christ to us. You exemplify Christ to us. That's very important. That's that's the way he lived. I think that that verse that you just quoted from Galatians 2, 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, really sums up who Saul became after this miraculous conversion. Perhaps the most powerful miracle in the history of the early church that we saw in St. Paul. I mean, a dramatic change in personality and in mission, that zeal that you described, Father. So you've heard of the stigmata, maybe many in our audience have heard that word before. It's a, it's a special word. You really only see it in the context of the Catholic faith. Stigmata, S-T-I-G-M-A-T-A. The English cognate would be stigma. And stigmata are the wounds of Christ. So what were the wounds of Christ? Well, they were from the crucifixion. The nail holes in his hands and his feet and his side. And only a few saints in history have had the stigmata. I think the most recent one would have been Padre Pio, that great saint and mystic from Italy in the 1900s, St. Padre Pio. Um, it's, um, it, is, uh, it is understood that St. Catherine of Siena, also uh, in the 1300s, I believe she lived, um, had the stigmata, as well as St. Francis of Assisi. But it's also um, understood that St. Paul had the stigmata. He was so... Um, transformed into Christ, being another Christ, that he bore the wounds of Christ in his body. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So before the show, John, I was reflecting on some of my favorite passages from the letters of St. Paul. There's so many, Father. I was was doing the same thing, and I'm thinking, my goodness, there's so there's literally a hundred verses that we could talk about from St. Paul. Uh, So let me talk to you about a little bit about this one that comes up often at wedding masses. It's his letter to the Corinthians, first chapter. He speaks about charity, which is a Greek word which is coming to English, which means love, and there's very different ways of it. And he begins to say, now I'm going to point out to you, he's writing to his audience in Corinth, a more excellent way. If I should speak with the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, I can speak Greek and Latin, Italian, I can speak the language of the Holy Spirit, but I don't have charity, I become a a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, just a noisemaker. And then he continues, if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and know all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, yet do not have charity, which is the love of God, love of others, I am nothing. So at times you may meet people who boast about their prophecy and their knowledge, and they do great things to remove mountains, yet they're gossips. Right? They're always gossiping about people and gossiping about the church and gossiping about everybody, and they don't really have charity. <laughs> like it's useless. So St. Paul is saying here. And if I distribute all my goods to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, yet do not have charity, it profits me nothing. You know, he's reflecting. Right? So he was a deep guy. He must have been a man of prayer, and he knew himself quite well. And then he goes on to define what is charity. Sometimes the word is used love. It says charity is patient. You can almost stop right there. Everybody in our audience right now, like, am I patient? You might be in traffic right now. Somebody might have just cut you off. You may have saluted them in an unchristian <laughs> manner, right? You may have laid on the horn. Uh, please don't do that if you get a relevant bumper sticker on the back of your car, right? Charity's patient. Oh, my goodness. Charity is kind. We have to stop and examine our conscience. Am I patient? Am I kind? Charity is not envy. That's a big problem for at least half of the human race. 
makes people sad, scheming, nasty, at least to violence and all sorts of unfair practices. And the remedy for envy is gratitude. I knew a wise man, he passed away this past year, a very holy guy, and years ago he said, look, nobody ever gets as much as they want in life, but we all get more than we deserve. And I think that's the starting point to um, address envy. We all get more than we deserve to work on our gratitude. Charity is not pretentious. It's not puffed up. It's not ambitious. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice over wickedness, but rejoices with the truth, bears with all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Some magnificent contribution to the history of human literature. Yes, I know it's in the Bible, but it still is human literature. Really one of the most outstanding um, statements ever from a human being from St. Paul on, on charity. Tremendous perspective. That was my conversation with Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio. Now, on this feast of the conversion of St. Paul, I want to bring in our very own Glenn Leverance uh, to share his conversion story. Uh, Glenn, uh, when you and I first met uh, way back in the early days of Relevant Radio, you were Lutheran. Can you take us through uh, briefly what happened? And it took you a while, but eventually you became Catholic. Yeah, that's right. And it's all the fault of Relevant Radio, along with the Holy Spirit as well. But uh, that great opportunity to join Relevant Radio some some 20 years ago as a Lutheran. And uh, the Christian music station I was working at uh, previously had uh, changed to, to Spanish, a language you know well, but not so much for me. So uh, <laughs> I was looking for a, a different radio gig at the time and had worked in Christian radio for about 10 years and regular rock radio about 10 years before that. But thought, hey, that's, you know, I'm not Catholic, but this will be doing more good than harm. And so uh, joined up and that first was doing more kind of off the air things a little bit or I joked that I, I do on air as much as they let a Lutheran do you know some news and and production uh, recording different announcements and the like but one of the things when relevant radio way back then was based in the Twin Cities of uh, St. Paul Minneapolis uh, we had a studio populated with a few dozen people in a chapel uh, that everyone was invited to uh, partake in with uh, the morning at 10 o'clock every day uh, either praying the liturgy of the hours or the rosary and then we would do the uh, chaplet of divine mercy just in the chapel not over the air we had that at the time, but separately, uh, everybody invited to be part of that as well. And so I, you know, availed myself of that opportunity and I got to learn more and more. And I found that the Marian things very interesting. And uh, as far as conversion to Christianity, kind of grew up always, you know, going to church, uh, fell away a little bit with practice, but not belief during the college years. We kind of got back into it. And uh, anyway, uh, working at Relevant Radio, though, learning more and more about uh, the Marian things, which were not a hindrance to me. Uh, one of my first conversations with a guy I'd worked with who had worked at uh, another station I'd worked at, although we worked there at different times, talked about the saints and, well, we believe they're alive, yeah, and so that that makes sense and looked at the things that we have in common. And uh, as we uh, uh, continue to talk and learn and have great opportunities to learn more, uh, you know, things like the rosary were very, very beautiful. I uh, was able to partake in that. And we talk about Christian unity, John. And I remember one of our coworkers thinking, wow, how great we can have Catholics and Lutherans praying the rosary together here. And, of course, we learned that uh, Martin Luther was a, a fan of the rosary way back when as well. And it was more of a gradual thing. Nobody badgered me to come into it. I remember Drew kind of joking about, well, hey, when are you going to, you know, join, you know, and without, you know, pressuring really. And it was years and years later, after many years of 
of study. And uh, Tom Vorpal, who was the CEO of Relevant Radio at the time, was, oh, what's your, what's your objection? You know, just like uh, a good salesperson might uh, try to overcome objections. And by that point, kind of didn't have any. And it was actually just later that year we uh, joined RCIA at our, our local parish, which I'd been driving by, uh, you know, for a few years after we had moved and uh, thought someday, you know, and uh, had the, the right priest at the right time with the right backstory that could relate to ours. My wife came into the church the, the same time I did. And uh, yeah, really just uh, learned a ton thanks to, to Relevant Radio and uh, have enjoyed that opportunity. Kind of that, that call, like, you know, not getting knocked off my horse like the Apostle Paul, but called to do more. So I think it was, you know, worked with a lot of converts at Relevant Radio through the years, and some were kind of running, kicking, and screaming from Protestantism, and uh, this was more of a, a call to do more, I think, through the through the Catholic Church. But, John, it's been a, a beautiful trip. Well, Glenn, uh, you were knocked off uh, your anchor desk, off the microphone, <laughs> to come into the fullness <laughs> of Christianity. I knew when I first met you, when you were praying the rosary every morning, uh, in those early days, I knew... This guy is going to become Catholic eventually. There is no way he can be around all these crazy Catholics and uh, not do so. So thanks so much uh, for sharing, uh, Glenn. Hey, sure thing, John. We're going to have much more uh, perspective on St. Paul the Apostle a little bit later at the top of the second hour here on Morning Air with Father Marcel Tyone. And uh, we need to take a a short break. When Morning Air continues, we'll be joined by our Rome correspondent, uh, Ashley Norona, with the latest news from the Vatican on uh, this feast of the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Stay with us on this Wednesday as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned for more of Morning Air. Vieni via di qui, niente più ti lega questi luoghi, neanche questi fiori azzurri. And welcome back to Morning Air on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for uh, joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And now it's time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Norona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire with talks and tours and spiritual direction, all centered on scripture, art, and beauty. You can visit truthandbeautyproject.com to find out how you can make your life a virtual masterpiece just in one week with John and Ashley in Rome. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Thanks so much for joining us once again from Roma. Hey, John, so happy to be here with you from across the many miles. Well, Ashley, uh, obviously uh, this morning, once again, the Holy Father uh, held uh, his uh, Wednesday audience, uh, his Wednesday papal audience. What was the focus of uh, Pope Francis uh, this morning? Yes, in fact, today the Pope looked at how to preach the gospel, because of course the topic continues, the subject that he picked a few weeks ago, which is apostolic zeal. So how do how does one preach the gospel with zeal? Well, he said that first of all, one has to understand that the gospel of Jesus is a saving message in and of itself. And with that, there is a contagious joy and a freedom, and of course that promise of spiritual rebirth that comes with hearing the gospel. It also brings this the message of healing from oppression and from sin and death. And 
the Pope looked at Jesus and the way that Jesus communicated, the essential elements that he used, joy and freedom, healing, also awe. And then the Pope went more into the importance of joy with the gospel because he said the gospel has to be conveyed joyfully because you can't speak of Jesus without joy. Because faith, he said, is it's a wonderful love story to be shared. But when joy is lacking, then the authentic gospel just isn't transmitted. He said that, yes, a sad Christian can speak of beautiful things, but ultimately it's all in vain if he's not proclaiming the truth with joy. So he said that when announcing the gospel, Christians shouldn't put pressure on others, shouldn't burden them, but instead should unburden them and raise them up and bring them peace through the words of Christ. Because by, the, by its very nature, the good news is a proclamation of joy. So he said the quickest way for the faithful to encounter Christ is to put yourself in need. In other words, to tell Christ that you're in need of him, in need of his grace, in need of forgiveness, in need of joy, and then he will come to you. So for Christ's followers, the Pope just really insisted today that every day is a time of grace. It's a new opportunity to bear witness to the good news of God's mercy, of his forgiveness, and to a new life in Jesus, John. I think it's, uh, it's so uh, appropriate for the Holy Father to talk about joy uh, on this uh, feast day of uh, the uh, the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle, because St. Paul himself uh, wrote so much about joy. He would say, you know, rejoice at all times, rejoice. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's I think it's it's a perfect connection, uh, which, uh, which kind of leads us uh, to uh, uh, the importance of this day, this feast of the conversion of St. Paul outside the walls, also the conclusion of the week of Christian unity. Yes, indeed. It's been a very full week, to say the least, uh, with events starting on the 18th and concluding today, as you mentioned, John. And these these events are all dedicated to an ecumenical observance uh, with various confessions being represented coming together. And events include, uh, there were vespers, there were musical moments, there were prayer vigils, etc., and participants like uh, Anglican and Methodist and, and Evangelical Lutherans, even Valdentians, which was quite a surprise, Orthodox were there as well. And this evening it, the, will be the finale. And this is when tonight at the Church of the Basilica of, of St. Paul's Outside the Walls, as you mentioned, John, which is where St. Paul himself is entombed, the Holy Father will preside over Second Vespers today on the Solemnity of the Conversion of St. Paul. And that will officially be the last event of the week, although there will be a scholarly symposium that's going on for the next few days at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas, we know it better here as the Angelicum, and the topic will be discussing the um, ecumenical studies there that are happening at the Angelicum, John. And Ashley, it, traditionally it is a very beautiful event, uh, that Vespers at uh, St. Paul outside the walls, to see the Holy Father uh, with all those leaders from all those other uh, Christian denominations and even our mm-hmm. Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters uh, who are there, all coming together yes. uh, with the Holy Father as the, as the Vicar of Christ. 
Yes, and this has been going on since 1908, uh, which is, so it's got quite a, a legacy and quite a history behind it. And there have been various uh, leaders of different denominations and confessions who have, uh, have pledged their support over over the years to be part of this. And it's, it's uh, thought to be a, a very important no moment of course, as as people remember uh, the words, uh, the prayer of Christ, the last prayer of Christ, that they may all be one. Absolutely. Uh, and meanwhile, um, I, I understand that there is a new survey uh, that is showing the number one reason, <laughs> the top reason why people are traveling to Roma. Oh, John, yes, exactly. Now, if if anyone is not already excited about coming to Rome, I think this might just put you over the edge because Rome has become the first in the best food destinations in the world. So, John, this is coming from the Traveler's Choice Best of the Best Awards, and this is something that's compiled on TripAdvisor, all based on travelers reviews so they they take those millions of reviews that are are submitted by travelers from around the world over the last year and so this is what they concluded now of course for for those who've been to rome you know that there are some very special food offerings oh that goodness. are particular <laughs> to rome itself right it's crazy so, on every other yeah, block it's crazy Yes, it's true. And John, you, you of course, I'm sure remember well pasta carbonara or amatriciana. These are particular Roman dishes. Or how about fried artichokes or even artichoke alla romana. And then there's the tender oxtail stew and a piece of delicious pecorino romano cheese. These are all typically Roman deliciousnesses. And so you make it here, sound so good, Ashley. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I'll certainly have a bite for everyone in your honor. And it's so wonderful because food is such an important part of the culture. We have piazzas dedicated to food markets. There's open-air food markets, closed-air food markets. Uh, we eat seasonally here. Gelato. And Can't forget the gelato. gelato. Oh, my goodness. Who can forget the gelato? And then, of course... One of the, the wonderful traditions of Italy is that typically businesses, churches, everybody closes in the afternoon, sometimes for two hours, sometimes for four hours. But the idea is to encourage people to go home and have lunch with their family. They understand the importance of the family meal, of spending that time together. And they look at food as a very important and sacred moment together. And so uh, you will, it's funny because one of the things that Romans uh, could have turned their noses up at are people walking down the street eating food because they believe that that is a desecration of how food ought to be enjoyed. You should sit, you should have the full, they call it a 360 degree experience that's shared with family and friends. So if you needed another reason to come to Rome, there you go. Uh, that is a great reason. And, and Ashley, I need to get my passport updated uh, so that uh, Cindy and I can uh, come back uh, to the scene of our honey moon and visit uh, Trey Scalini. I hope it's still open after the oh, pandemic yes. at uh, the Piazza Navona. Never forget that place outdoors.
It is a wonderful place right there across uh, from, yes, across from the church, which actually holds the relic of the foot of St. Teresa of Avila. So you can go have a little spiritual pilgrimage and then go feast afterwards. Sounds uh, great. Uh, meanwhile, in uh, Florence, uh, Verona, and Pisa, um, I understand that there is uh, some new archaeological updates uh, for uh, this year's expected yes. flock of uh, many tourists. That's right. Well, can you imagine, John, that Italy has 4,800 archaeological sites under its care? So when, when you look at numbers like that, that means there's always lots of things being repaired and being restored in this country. And the Duomo, the famous Duomo in Florence, is one of those. It just got a very important makeover. And what happened was as they cleaned the doorway on the north side of that beautiful church and the restorers began removing signs of degradation from over the centuries, they discovered there were actually extensive traces of color on various statues. For example, on the Virgin with Child and on the Adoring Angels group on those those structure on those sculptures there. So they'd been working since September and what this means is that these are colors that literally nobody has seen for centuries because we've all been looking at white statues thinking that there was no color. So this is a very key artistic finding, especially because it's the door of a church and it's very important since the door is the connection between what's celebrated inside the building and the life of the people outside. So the color uh, really brings a celebratory aspect to what goes on inside that church. And in the meantime, John, over in Verona, now we know Verona best as the city of Romeo and Juliet, right? And uh, the, right in the middle of Verona, there is a very famous arena. So it's similar to the Colosseum, but this one dates back to 30 AD. And uh, it actually, at the moment, has been closed because they, it was the victim of a Christmas decoration accident. Yes, that's right. So imagine this, John. Imagine that inside of the arena for every year since uh, the 1980s, they have placed this great big decoration that is 230 feet high. And it's a gigantic Christmas star. And the, the, the base goes up in the middle of the arena, but then it bends over the side of the arena so that this gigantic Christmas star comet looking thing ends up on the ground there. So this is 78 tons of metal. Now, as the Christmas star was being dismantled from inside the arena this week, the base of the star fell and it damaged some of the steps there, some of those 30 AD steps. And uh, at the moment, it's closed as investigations are going on for what happened. So hopefully for the next trip to Verona, that will be all taken care of. But in the meantime, John, to take you for a moment to Pisa, we all know about the leaning to the famous leaning tower of Pisa. Of course. Uh, but I'm, yes, I'm glad to tell you that it has just received a clean bill of health. And of course, it gets its name because it's literally leaning. But despite that fact, people still pay money to walk up 
into it. Now, they've just concluded a series of, of works to try to understand the health, the state of the leaning power of Pisa. Now, keep in mind, this is an 850-year-old patient. It has a tilt of around five meters or so. It's, it's, it has a subsidence of about 10 feet. But the good news is, indeed, the, the result of the checkup was that it is in good shape. Now, about 21 years ago, back in 2001, there was an intervention that pulled it slightly back upright. So this was the big uh, investigation to see if that stabilization work had was successful. And indeed, looks like the tilt has decreased a bit, looked like it was successful. Now, to give you a little background, this tower was started all the way back in 1174. It was finished in 1350. And even in 1350, it had already started tilting about half of the tilt that it has today. But with this new uh, investigative work, John, I'm happy to tell you that the Leaning Tower of Pisa has a clean bill of health that's good for the next 300 years. Sounds good. Long live uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Ashley, as always, uh, <laughs> thanks so much uh, for uh, being with us and bringing Rome uh, to home to our listeners. Happy feast day of the conversion of St. Paul. John, thank you so much. Happy feast day right back to you. God bless. Grazie, grazie. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Uh, national speaker and coach Jim Lang, the best-selling author of The Happy Wife, Happy Life, will tell us how to stop walking on eggshells in your relationship and be the man that you were made to be. Stay with us. Listen up, guys. There's much more to come on Morning Air here on this Wednesday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverance on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. It's good to be with you on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Romans 8.28. St. Paul the Apostle writes, We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him who are called according to his purpose. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that all things happen for the good of those who love God. During any difficult times, we have to have a spiritual and a Catholic perspective. Nothing happens in this world without the will of God. The Lord is the Lord of the universe. Nothing happens without either his direct will or his permitting will. This is divine providence, and we have have to have the faith that our Lord Jesus Christ does not abandon us and is always with us. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, I want to uh, talk to, uh, to the men out there this morning. Uh, guys, uh, do you ever feel like uh, you're walking on eggshells uh, around your wife? Uh, quick to say, yes, dear, and uh, ask uh, how high when she says uh, jump. Well, uh, you may uh, be the victim of the big happy wife, happy life. Uh, 
lie. Joining us live this morning from Ohio is men's relationship coach and national speaker Jim Lang, the best-selling author of The Happy Wife, Happy Life Deception. Jim works with men of faith to help them in relationships, whether that's in their marriage, at work, as a father, with their children, or even socially. Good morning, Jim. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you here on Morning Air for the first time. Well, good morning, Jen. It is my pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and all those men out there. Well, uh, Jim, we as men, um, many of us have been taught that it's our job to keep our wives happy, uh, whatever it takes. Uh, a happy wife, happy life. You, you, you know, if mama's happy, everybody's happy. Is this true? Well, it, it is to an extent. Certainly, we all want a happy life, or well, a happy wife, to, to, and we think it's going to give us a happy life. But the problem is, is when we believe that her happiness is our responsibility, because quite frankly, it's impossible for us to make anyone happy. That's really an inside job inside of them. And it's my belief that our job as in our role as husbands is really to do what we can to give her an opportunity to be happy. But when we begin to to believe that it's our job to make her happy, that actually leads to manipulation and control on our part because we're trying to do something that's not our job. That's solely the father's job and leaving the outcome with him is his responsibility. So we're to act and behave as he tells us to. But us deciding that we are a good husband based on a wife's happiness is a very poor litmus test. Well, I remember way back when, uh, going on, well, I've been married now going on 18 years uh, during our marriage uh, prep, uh, that uh, my job is to get my wife to heaven and her job is to get me to heaven. And uh, I think getting to heaven is much more than just making them happy. No, that's absolutely right. I've heard it said that, you know, marriage isn't so much about happy, happiness, it's about making each other holy. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about and referring to there. And I think the thing that we get stuck in as men, especially men who are followers of Jesus, is that, uh, you know, you think about the first and the greatest commandment, right, that Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is just like it, and that's love your neighbor as yourself. And I've been in churches of all different denominations uh, across the country, and I see something with, with regularity on the walls. It says, love God and love people. And people say that, you know, we can, we can, the whole Bible can be summarized in those four words, love God and love others, because Jesus goes on and says that all of all the prophets hang on these two commands. And on one hand, that's true, but on another, it's a great deception because Jesus says we're to love others, how? As we love ourselves. And we kind of forget that. And we think that loving ourselves is this narcissistic, bad, evil thing. When in reality, what Jesus is saying is we can only love others, including our wives, to the extent that we love ourselves. And so I, in, in my marriage relationship, have had times in which I did not love myself. And I gave up myself and really allowed negative things to happen to me, all in the name of trying to, to serve the Lord. And, but that's not what Jesus tells us to do at all, and I think we miss that in a big-time way. Uh, Jim, I, I suppose that's why you uh, were inspired to write uh, this book, uh, Happy Wife, Happy uh, Life. Yes, that's absolutely right. It's from my personal experience, and then what through that experience, I had people or men just kind of come out of the woodwork to me, and 
share their stories and said, you know, they'd come to me and say, I've never told this to anybody. I don't know why I'm telling this to you. <laughs> and, it, and it's because I believe God has anointed me to help men in this situation. So I've helped many. And so when I started to hear this story over and over and over again, I came to realize that we really, um, this is an epidemic in our, especially among uh, believers in Jesus. And, and I, I want to do everything I can to help men and marriages to thrive, because I think when we believe this lie, uh, we can get trapped in this place of really being passive and timid, and that doesn't help our wives out and our marriages out in any way whatsoever. Jim, is it fair to say that if, if you feel like you're walking on eggshells in your relationship, that, that is a big red flag? Oh, absolutely. That's a big red flag. That's, that's maybe number one. It's really a, an invitation for you to look inward and say, why am I doing this? And what I have found with myself in my life, as well as the, the many men that I have coached, is it's typically because of some sort of fear of rejection or something that happened in our childhoods or somewhere along the way in our life that caused this Um, this kind of faulty thing inside of us, this faulty belief inside of us, which believes that we can't, you know, correct our wives or we can't say no or we can't do this without losing the relationship. And another kind of key indicator of this is the harder that you try to make your wife happy, the worse things seem to get in your marriage. That's another telltale sign. And the other thing is when you think you're the most loving selfless husband on the planet, um, you know, that's actually another another key indicator. Like I used to practically break my arm patting myself on the back thinking I was this amazing husband. But in reality, I came to the realization that I was really being really selfish because I was simply trying to avoid the pain. And so I was trying to keep this false peace in our relationship. You know, when Jesus talks about us, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. And I was a peacekeeper in for a long period of time until, you know, God really dealt with me and I came to see a much better way uh, in this. Uh, Jim, uh, today is the the feast of the conversion of uh, the Apostle St. Paul, and uh, he teaches us uh, in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, One of the most misunderstood uh, verses, but it it is uh, such a powerful reminder of what it's really all about. That really is, but I'll tell you this, John, I'm glad you brought this up because that is that statement by the Apostle Paul actually tells us that, and can actually lead us, especially those men who were unhealthy like I was, into this place of saying, I need to bend over backwards, do everything that my wife needs me to do, and need everything to keep her happy. And that's not what Paul was talking about there. He was saying, we're willing to step into the deep waters, including confronting our wives, even though it might mean pain. And it, uh, it might mean uh, sacrifice uh, as well as Christ loved the church. He extended his arms and died on the cross uh, for all of us. Uh, in, in the final moments uh, that, uh, that we have, uh, if you could share just a, a couple of other uh, teachings uh, from uh, your book that you think could inspire men to have a better relationship w- with their wives. Absolutely. You know, one of the, I think the key thing is to own your own passivity and timidity and quit blaming your wife. This is, 
this is something you absolutely need to do is you need to, you need to take ownership of your stuff and focus on your stuff and not on what your wife is supposedly doing to you. So quit blaming her and quit trying to control the harmony in your relationship and leave that up to God and just do what God's calling you to do. And you can learn so much more. I've got a whole blueprint laid out in the book, the happy wife, happy life deception. And for your listeners, John, I'm making it available for one penny plus shipping uh, on my site. You can go to jimlangbook.com. That's Jim L A N G E book.com. And you can sign up and we'll mail out, mail out an actual hard copy book to you. Uh, for a penny plus shipping. And it's something that will really bless, I think, your listeners. Sounds fantastic. How generous of you. Thank you so much, uh, Jim, uh, for being with us uh, this morning. My pleasure, John. Uh, Thank you for having me on and blessings to all. Many blessings to you as well. Relationship coach Jim Lang, the best-selling author of The Happy Wife, Happy Life Deception. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today called People Change from Sunny Skies. I was bullied a lot in secondary school, 11 to 18 years old for people who have different school systems. There was one main culprit, let's call him C. Over many years, this boy physically and verbally abused me every day, and this went on for a long time. Eventually, we left school, no idea what he went on to do, I think it was construction, and many years passed. One day, I was walking to the supermarket, I was 26 at this point, having a smoke, and who should I bump into? But see, there was a shocked look of incredulity on his face. He tried to figure out who he thought I was. He asked me, and I told him I was exactly who he thought I was. What followed was the most honest and sincere apology I've ever heard in my life. I'll remember that apology for the rest of my days. He could have just pretended he didn't notice me, but he stopped and apologized. There was legitimate shame in this man's voice for the things he'd done to me in the past. I forgave him instantly. I carried resentment toward him around for so many years, and in a second, it was gone. I was completely blindsided. That day, I regained a bit of faith in humanity. I had a fantastic rest of my day. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What a great reminder, as always. Uh, Thanks so much, Glenn, for another uplifting story corner. Now, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tyone, will join us to talk about the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle, the feast that we are celebrating today. And our personal success coach, Dave Duran, will be with us to discuss uh, when to never give up, the three things in life never to give up on, or maybe to give up, and to always give up. We'll definitely talk about it uh, with Dave Duran. So stay with us. There is much more to come on this Wednesday as Morning Air continues on the Feast of the Conversion of the Apostle St. Paul here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.